To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's up, guys? Another week, I got another brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I run up to my buddy Dan Heverin's house, and we sit down with uh, another friend of ours, Kyle Richards, and, and we just have some authentic hunting talk uh, around Dan's dining room table. Um, this is a fun one for me. I always like sitting down with buddies. Um, it, it's just the conversation is so loose, and uh, you're able to joke around here and there, and, and uh, it just makes for a great conversation and a fun conversation to sit in on. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, both Kyle and Dan are just killers in the in the Western world with the bow in their hands. Um, and, and I'd say if there's a theme to the podcast that there's – multiple approaches to being successful. Um, sometimes Kyle brings a different mindset or a different approach to, to say, for instance, for hunting elk, and he's been extremely successful and killed some really nice bulls. And so it's just fun to have a conversation about that, about both our similarities and our differences and mindsets going into a hunt. And, and uh, so just a fun conversation with a couple of my buddies. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you guys enjoy it too. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Ice Optics. Um, Zeiss Optics, they are the finest optics I have ever looked through. Their binos are absolutely unreal. Um, just the, the sharpness of the color in there. Sometimes I feel like the color in my binos is better than real life. Like I feel like it's exaggerated, but they really do have some of the finest optics to look through. And, and I've looked through all the best brands and I truly believe Zeiss is the best. Um, Zeiss has just came out with a, a couple brand new products um, that I'm really excited about. They came out with a new range-finding binocular with angle compensation. Um, this is really cool. Like this, this could eliminate a step in bow hunting where you don't have to look through your binos and then look through your rangefinder. Like your binos are your rangefinder, and and rangefinders notoriously never have as good as glass as like your binos do. Your binos are so crisp and good to look through. If you had a rangefinder on there. Like you just have one tool then to, to get your range and then to glass terrain. Um, I, I think it'd be a good move. And I'm going to maybe look into it this next year of going to a range finding binocular. But Zeiss also came out with another handheld range finder, which I love the handheld range finders. I've used those. Um, you know, I don't know what the benefit from that from a normal range finder is other than you know, it seems like they put pretty good rangefinders in those. Um, not that the binos don't have good ones in there, but I've always been able to find a better rangefinder that isn't in a bino. I guess would be my only downside to them. But I, you know, I believe Zeiss has got the same rangefinder technology in both those binos in the handheld. I'd imagine they're the same. But anyways, I'm super excited about it. They have the new rangefinding binos. They have a new handheld rangefinder. Uh, they've revamped some of their optic lines in there, so make sure to check that out. Um, you know, and I don't think they could make their scopes or binos any better, but uh, maybe they've made some small changes in those lines. I also know they have some some unbelievably good rifle scopes. Um, they came out with a new one this year. Uh, if you're in the market for optics for a rifle scope, make sure to check Zeiss out, and uh, thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. 
um, over there at Eastman's. I know those guys are, are busy in show season right now. I see Guy and Ike making the shows and, and Brandon Mason making the shows. I'm going to sit down with uh, Brandon Mason later this week and record a podcast, I think, on Friday. So really looking forward to that. And uh, I've kind of missed the shows, but I've been busy. been to Arizona, coos hunting, and uh, just got back, did a quick steelhead trip this past week and just had so much fun with a couple friends and um, just living life to the fullest, been training, getting in my runs. Um, it, it, uh, it, it's just going really good right now. I'm really excited about the future of the podcast and to continue getting great content out to you guys. And, and, uh, I know Eastman's are really excited about the podcast and heard some great feedback at these shows. So thanks to you guys for spreading the word and, and, uh, spreading the positive vibes about Eastman's elevated, uh, it just means the world to me, but I, I've been rambling on long enough. Um, let's get this podcast started. So Kyle Richards, Dan Heverin, and me on a podcast, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here. I'm over at Dan Heverin's house, drove down tonight, and Kyle Richards is here, another buddy of ours. Man, uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is cool. So we recorded one on our Arizona hunt, yep. kind of recap that and the excitement we had. Um, so we just thought we'd sit down and record a podcast. Um, we all hunt Montana and, and, uh, all different species of Montana. And I mean, why don't we start with antelope? Yeah. Um, I think we all have our little different, I don't want to call them tricks, but I think techniques, everybody hunts a little bit different here around the table. You and I hunt a lot of the same, but, uh, um, Kyle's been very, very successful over the last few years since you've gotten serious about archery. Um, Gosh, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how many antelope bucks you've killed by now, but you've, you've got quite a stack of them. You're doing really su- successful at that and extremely successful at elk. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool. It's a different, different style of hunting in a, in a way. Um, you know, he's a real patient guy, um, a very, very deadly shot. I shot with him for years now. He's a very incredible shot. Um, you know, he cheats too. You know, when you got a thirty-inch draw and a thirty-one, thirty-two-inch long arrow, I, you know, I think it's I think you get away with quite a bit of stuff there. You know, uh, I mean, shit, he's got what four or five inches on us. So I mean, yeah, yeah it's a little. A little I shoot your guys' bow. I tune. I tune Dan's bow, and, and I feel like I'm shooting like a fourteen-year-old kid's bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm totally all different. I'm all crunched up on it, and I just I it's so hard to tune for him. I just I might as well come over and shoot it, and I'll tune it for you. Shooting my daughter's bow or something <laughs> in the garage. Yeah, yeah exactly. I know it. Um, we definitely have a disadvantage when it comes to archery yeah. being shorter draw lengths. You just can't get get away with as much. Like you're talking about, you know, you can probably get through those shoulders quite a bit easier. Like every inch of draw length is seven to eight feet per second on your arrow. So you're shooting three to three and a half inches longer than us. You know, that's, that's a 25, 28 well, feet per second. I mean, it's just did it, to give perspective, I... I've killed four elk with a bow, and not one has has stopped an arrow. Not one. It's a complete passer. Complete passer was on all of them. I broke two shoulders on an elk once. Mm-hmm. Jeez. See, me, I can't even get through a shoulder of a mule deer. Be completely see, was, straight with you. Yep. Or I, a shoulder of an antelope or yep. a whitetail. I have to aim three to four inches off the shoulder blade because yep. if I hit the shoulder, the majority of times I'm not getting through. Sometimes I hit the soft spot and it'll get through there, but... Um, yeah, that shoulder is something I've just learned I have to stay away from. But guys like you and, and my buddy Pat Nowak, he's got a 30-inch draw. I saw him shoot through a shoulder of a moose. Yeah, moose. You know, it's uh, shoot through there, hit the heart, and kill the thing. 
Oh, man. Yeah, it's a huge you know, advantage. In I archery, think. is a game inches. Not that he was aiming for the shoulder. He made it, executed a good shot, but yeah, it got through the mm-hmm. shoulder on a moose. Well, it, it helps on the shots that you don't execute well. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. And it's, I mean, to be able to shoot a, a 500 grain arrow at 305 feet a second is helpful. I mean, yeah. if you hold a little, a couple inches the wrong direction, I mean, it, it helps. Yeah. I mean, do you, you're do you killing think it helps animal. you a lot with antelope? Do you think, uh, how's your experience for uh, string jumping and, and getting out of, out of the f- flight path of your I mean, are you pretty successful at, I, at getting them? Or I mean, do you have a few that jump just like we do? You know, with shooting as, as a heavy arrow as I do, my bow is typically pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had an antelope jump a string. But the what? Cl- the, uh-uh. Never had an antelope <laughs> jump a string? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I've had them get out of the way of my arrow. Yep. And I, I shoot a heavy arrow as well and quiet bows and pay attention to well, that. Well, I think the difference is is that your bow, I'm assuming, shoots probably two, 280. Yep. Yeah, and, and I'm – I mean, I've got – when I was shooting, I used to shoot like 420 grains, and I was like – 319 and I, I like stuff doesn't jump my string and i've shot i shot an antelope at 60 yards that knew i was there that didn't move hmm. i mean cause i mean sometimes they wait on it yeah. but then the time you know then i'll have them totally get out of the way of my arrow and they'll have two steps on my arrow and it it's you know at, at that point it's not a matter of speed they just react you know to the sound of my bow and able to get out of the way right but um yeah no you've had good luck having them not jump your string i well you know, i haven't I, killed as many antelope as you guys though I've only killed four antelope. Yeah. But I mean, all with a bow. Good bucks, but, though. I mean, they're they're decent bucks. That's yeah. still really good. Four years and not having one jump your string. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's huh? good success. So, I mean, it's just, it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to attribute to. Like, I guess at the same time, you know, I mean, my, my arrow covers a, a football field in a second, and yours is essentially 20 to 30 yards behind. 20 seconds? Is about right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, about that. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and I guess what I gain, too, is is my arrows are they're a lot flatter at that trajectory. You guys are kind of rainbowing, and mine's mine's already there, you know? Sure. So. It is kind of wild that you can actually tell the difference, though. Because you wouldn't think – I mean, come on. If you think about it, I mean, that bow – my bow rips, and so does yours. So does you. I mean, they just seem like they come out of the bow so fast. But you get out there, you're starting to push that 50, you know, 60-yard range. I mean, that, that's that's a that's a poke out there. I mean, I mean, it makes a huge difference, you know. I mean, it can, obviously. I mean, you're extremely successful at, at not having them jump your string. And I've had many, to be honest with you. I've had many. Yep. I've had a lot of well, uh, and it's still all about accuracy. Yeah. No matter whose bow it is, like yours might it's be a little way, bit more forgiving in the shoulder, but still, if you don't hit them in the right spot, right, most you likely him, you're not going to get them. You, know? you hit them in so, that in that ball and socket on there. It's it's yep. stopping any arrow. Yep, I don't care who it is. It's going to break your arrow. Yep. It's and broadheads fail. Or you hit them back. You're right. no better off than we are hitting them back. And so you know it. it it's just a game where you've got to hit those vitals. Well, it's well, it's a game of when do you take your shot. That's what I've learned the last two years. I've been really. I mean, you made that you you told me last year in Idaho when I was getting ready to shoot that that bull uh, last year in Idaho. You're like, man, he's he's gonna he's gonna blow. I thought, and then you're like, you were being really patient, and then I let him go back to feeding. Last year, I on the way to your house to go somewhere out of state, wherever we're going last year. Oh, to Idaho. Yeah, you guys um, were going to Idaho. Yeah, I ended up, uh, Brian called me. He's like, yeah, I got some, st- uh, waiting for, I think it was UPS or something. And I was like, Waiting yeah. for the camera. Yeah, waiting yep, for the camera were. before we go. So yeah. I'm like, well, Brian's like, just take your time coming down. I'm already on the road. I got everything packed. Well, I'm like, well, I got my bow in the truck and it's antelope season still, you know, and I've been getting kind of skunked lately. So I'm, I'm just getting ready to pull up to a, a couple um, 
public land. I would uh, they're uh, they're they're ranch property, private land around here, but it's all block management. So it's a quick stop in at the ranch and sign into the box, you know. And now it's public property. So I was like, I'll just turn around, and sign in, and you know, drive through and 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 hit a couple of vantage points on the way to your house. And I did that and was able to uh, to see a decent buck down in a really good spot that I'm extremely familiar with, and got down there and and played the most patient stock on an antelope you've ever seen. I was just you know, I, I knew I could kill him if I just was patient and I let his does feed in front of him and I made sure and wait until his head was completely down in the grass. I couldn't even see his head. He was down there feeding. And I'm like, perfect, perfect opportunity. Nothing knows I'm here. I am going to sit on my shot and sit there and wait and wait and just pull on my arrow and just let it break itself. And it, and it did. I made a perfect shot on that, that antelope. So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's when do you shoot? Like I've had a lot of bad experiences when things are looking at you and they're like, they're like kind of freaked out and they're getting ready to jump. It's like, they're staring at you. You're already busted. Do you just send it or do you let them calm down? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it works out. Some people, I mean, me too. It's worked out where I've sent it and they don't get out of your way, your arrow and you, and you get them. But I've been way more successful being patient on my shots. Letting them make the last step. You know, for for me, like waiting for the right shot and the right shot angle is really important. Yeah. Like I like to be patient and wait till I see that side. I'm not going to take a quartering towards or I'm just going to wait and be more patient for my shot. Give yourself and, the biggest target. Yep, for sure. Sure. Yep. And and waiting for that. But as far as looking at me or not looking at me, I think I've had just as many jump me that had no idea I was there. Okay. Big buck in Colorado yep. that jumped me there. And I had one with – um. Ryan, where I was hunting out in eastern Montana, and I shot off a cliff, had no idea I was there, and he tried to get out of his bed. In fact, I thought I missed him. I ended up getting him low in the heart and dumped his brisket right there, but he jumped my string. Like, it should have okay. hit him center of body. Gotcha. Um, so he, he so, heard your bow go off. Yep. Heard my bow and reacted to it, and I've had the same thing with him looking at me. If I can just get my limbs back and settle my pin, if I can get my shot off— you know, I think the same percentage jump it and the same percentage just stand there and look at Take you. It, yeah. yeah and it's tough. How do you pass up an animal that's in range and looking at you? You got to try to bend the limbs and get a shot like he's in range. This is what you've been working yeah, for. That's true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's hard to pass up. It's hard. It's a, at that point in time, I think it's a mental thing. You know, like, do you think you can do it or do you know you can do it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's where I'm at with my shots. When, when I try to make a, a shot break and, I guess I just said it. it you, you can't make a shot break because you're automatically, you force yourself through your wrong shot sequence and it's done. Yep. I mean, you're going to make you, a bad you took shot yourself at that point out of in the, time. Out of, the out, out of the rhythm. You're out of your own rhythm. Yep. So at that point in time, I think punching the trigger or whatever. Set it down. But and you've I, been you you shoot a lot, Kyle. You hit a lot of uh, you hit a lot of the um, 3D tournaments in the state. You like to go. I think you hit most of them, really. The big ones, anyways. I know you travel around, so you, I mean, you you practice a lot. Um, you run a little shop, and, and you sh- you shoot almost every single day. And I think you're pretty effective at those little bit longer range shots. I mean, being in Montana, I mean, I know a long poke for a lot of people. I mean, 60 yards is a long poke, but I mean, what do you practice at? I mean, I shot at your house. I don't know how many times, and you have targets at 100 100 yards, 110. I mean, you can range out and practice those younger sh- longer shots. Not saying that you're taking them every single time that you're hunting. I'm just saying it's going to set yourself up. So you feel more comfortable, like a 72 yard poke. It's like his head's down. He's just chilling. I mean, that's a good shot when you've practiced all year on taking that kind of shot. And being in Montana, this is a big place, very open country, especially on antelope. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, I get the, I get the, the ethical part of the whole situation. Yeah. Um, 
Everybody have a it's platform. It's different for everybody. Right. I have a platform on my house that is 97 yards, and I shoot it every single day. I shoot at least two arrows from 97 yards. And, you know, I mean, it's it's not that I'm practicing at long distance. It's so when I get to 80 yards, I'm like, I'm 17 yards in what I practice at. I'm confident with this. You know, that's that's kind of the shutoff for me is 80 yards. That, that's mm-hmm. on, on bigger game where if I happen to hit something where I don't want to hit it, um, it, it gives me the opportunity that with the setup that I have that I, I, I can still kill an animal. Yep. You know, I mean, it's just it's you have to practice. Yep, you, you have exactly. to practice. And it makes you effective at those yardages when you when you practice them so much. You know, um, with today's rangefinders and in, in the, the, the archery tackle that we have, the bows, the arrows, and paying attention to the details, those shots are makeable when you have an exact yardage at them where years prior they weren't. Now, West, it's just a different game out here where you do get some longer opportunities. But I find, too, I like to practice my long-range game and have that – you know, in in my quiver, in my bag of tricks, but I I really like to get inside. Like, um, you know, it, I, you know, I went through phases in my life at different times where you take different opportunities, and I just noticed that, like, for me, if I just get a different mindset that I want to get inside a closer range, like, I'm effective a hundred percent of the time, yeah. not seventy five percent of the time, and it takes those, you know, those, you know, wind drift out of the equation when I'm not shooting as far, you know. There's pluses and minuses to it, but I almost do better with a closer mindset. Not that I have to get to 20 yards, but it's like once I start to get inside a certain yardage, you, you know, know, I feel comfortable. But not that I'm going to pass judgment on anybody else shooting any different yardages. We all practice different, and we all feel effective and confident at different spots. And and with today's equipment, it it's totally possible to make those shots. I just know for me, like I just. I like to get just a touch closer, but um, it's Western hunting. A touch closer is what when we're talking yardage, and it's this taboo subject where people like to pass judgment on people that shoot farther than them. Like where they shoot is the line, and anybody beyond that is unethical. But gosh, you can make those shots, and a lot of times the longer shots, I sit on my shot better too. Like I don't try to rush my shot. Yeah, when I'm in close, I can duff those shots because I'm trying to make it happen where, you know, a longer yardage shot, I sit on my shot better and let it break better and hit them perfect like I'm supposed to. And like you say, you're practiced at those yardages and, and know the exact yardage and able to dial to it, hold your pin in the middle. Oh, we got a beat. That must be dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we'll grab that. I'll pause it and then we'll pick up. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. All right, we're back. We're starving to death. We had to have a slice. Yep. So that's good. We got a little food in us. Pizza was good. Yes, it was good. Delicious. I just learned that I've had my headset on backwards the entire time <laughs> I've been doing the podcast. <laughs> they are a, labeled. <laughs> yeah, there's a left and a right. So I got that changed around. So Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, good to go. But yeah, talking about shooting on animals, it's so tough, isn't it? It's, it's just uh, so drastically different from shooting at a target and practice on a target. It's almost something you need experience with. Well, that's what I was, I was just going to say that actually is, is now I know when I'm taking the right shot on an animal. I, I'm, I'm not always certain that I'm going to kill it, to be honest with you, but I know that I'm giving myself the best opportunity. I know when to take a shot. I know when not to take a shot. I've been doing this long enough that like, he gives me an opportunity that where I'm going to stand up and be super comfortable. I'm going to take it. It's important not to try to force it yep. in situations I feel like that's when I make mistakes or that's when things would go bad for me when Mm -hmm. I'm really trying to force it. But 
it's tough. We all got to make our judgment call. And if you feel like you can put that arrow in there, that's your shot. But I just, the longer I do it, the less I try to force, force shots like in through a sliver full of trees, you know, or where I know there's branches there. Like I'll just wait, I'll get a better opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It, it, um, bull I shot two years ago. I, I learned my lesson just like that. I, you know, you put the time in, and you you make your stocks right, and you have to make sure to go through your processes in your in your shot sequence. Um, I didn't, and I was I was a little bit I was five yards out of what I said I would I would shoot at an elk, and I was like I can do it. I I drew on him three times, and he never knew I was there. I drew on him three times, but I knew I was uncomfortable with it, and I think it. In the back of my head, I think I did it. I forced it. Um, and I forced it at further than I was supposed to, and it cost me, you know, I mean, the shot broke when I, when I wasn't quite ready for it. And it's, it's, it's I think I set myself up to begin with wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it broke and it took a step on me and it was far enough that, that, you know, an elk step is, I mean, you're, you're talking a foot and a half and it took, a, it, it took a step on me and I hit it like back rib. And that animal suffered because I did that. I ended up killing it, but you you have to you have to follow through mentally, in in my mind, with everything that you put forward at the beginning of the year. You can't force it because you have you have an opportunity at something. Because when you force stuff, it always backfires. Mm-hmm. Always in my mind. Was that the bull I helped pack out? No. Oh, it was a different one. Um, that was. Yes, it was that one. Okay. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Down in the hole. Yep. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. <laughs> uh, those elk are sure heavy creatures, aren't they? They are. It's a and lot it, of work. It's, they're, they're so tough. They're so tough. I just, I didn't, I didn't do that elk any justice. And it, it broke my heart when I did it, and it cost me dearly in the end. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. Execution or, you know, making a clean kill on an animal, it means so much more to you when you, yep. when you have that scenario play out like that it it seems like when you have a scenario that's less than perfect and it's bow hunting it's not always going to be perfect and you're going to have to deal with that at some point or another in your bow hunting career no matter what shots you take um but it just seems like when you make that clean kill everything breaks like it's supposed to you make the right decisions you can sure be proud of that trophy when you walk up and know that it died within a handful of seconds from when you shot it yeah it's it, they die on their feet like my bull i killed this year i mean it died and i barely had to turn my head to watch him he went 20 30 yards at the most and he was dead on his feet you know by the time he hit he was completely done you know spent it's super so, stressful i mean it, you, it is you, you put yeah. yourself in that situation and you know I'm, I'm trying to feed my family first and foremost, and to do that and then have to work extra hard and put myself in a situation that I did five months into five months out of ACL surgery, and and I I'm by myself, you know, and I knew better. I knew better when I drew my bow back to to pull the trigger on that bull, and I I it's just it it cost you it cost you and it cost you more mentally than you think. Mm-hmm. So now I know. From now on, I will not break my own rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's it was tough. It was it was a tough deal, and that I ended up shooting that bull another another time. And I mean, it was it was three hours later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got an arrow in him. You did the right thing. You stuck with him and put another arrow. So you I did mean, the right thing. I ate my lunch at ten o'clock in the morning, and I threw it up immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just I think that a lot of people 
don't give the animal the respect that they deserve. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's tough. It's tough. It was a tough situation. Well, in lessons, you know, it's like your parents trying to teach you when you're 18. They can tell you a million times, but until you learn for yourself and make that mistake mm-hmm. and feel that bad and that lowest of lows, you don't learn mm-hmm. that lesson. And so you almost have to make a mistake in your judgment, have something turn out bad to learn from it and yeah. become better from it, you know, because of it. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I hate when that happens. And that, that was my bowl this year where took a step and got him back farther than I wanted and then took a follow-up. And, you know, that's that's the one thing I think back of this season that I'd change or that I'd want to do different. And, you know, I don't know if I could have changed my decisions at all, but it's just the, the way it went down and the way it happened. But it's definitely the one I think about that I want to improve from. Yeah. yeah. You'll learn from it. Everybody learns from it, you know. Next year when you go on, you get the same opportunity on a bull. I mean, you're going to be that much smarter, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, things are still going to happen with our careers of hunting, but, but – we always at least attempt to always get better, get smarter, get more efficient. I mean, you know, try to get it done, you know, in good manner. And, I, you know, I think we're all getting better for sure. Nothing better than a clean kill, is there? Oh, Where you just put Stroke it on them. Them. Watch yep. an animal walk off 10 yards and tip over. Oh, yep. yeah, it's, like, it's the best. Done deal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, now the sucky part starts. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't mind that. I, I get a kick out of uh, – Packing things out. I don't know why. I you're, just, a little I bit, like you're a little bit different breed than me, though. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like a broken old man. And it's just Dan Dan goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And I just, I can't. I can't keep up with Dan. I can't I can't put two quarters on my back and walk out 10 miles. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm only 32. And it's just, it's tough. It's tough for me. I've had a lot of, a lot of joint surgeries. Man, so. we're just all dealt the hand we're dealt. And yeah. we have to do the best with it mm-hmm. that we can. But yeah, I mean, we're all built different. We're all given different genetics. Our joints all hold up different. Um, so yeah, you kind of got to gotta play the hand you're dealt. Yeah, you jokers running around, running eight, <laughs> ten miles a day. I run a mile and I'm like, yes, this is perfect. <laughs> Everybody's different. At least you're trying. At least you're going for it. You're hitting the gym every morning. I mean, you're doing, a, you're doing a great. I mean, I said, you're a bigger dude. You're a big guy. I was hard on myself. Oh, yeah. we we all have weak spots too. Yeah, like for I, sure. Uh, mine's my back from working construction all those years, or maybe just genetically. I know my grandpa, my dad, me, and it's something I have to work on constantly with stre- stretching, strength training, um, you know, anything I can do to strengthen my back. And I still feel it like on long hikes and long runs, like that's my weak spot. So I've got to make sure I'm constantly working on it or that's what's going to hold me back in the future. Yep, for yeah. sure. You and guys I, all go 90 miles an hour and I'm like, like I told you earlier, I'm not a big ogre, like tromping trop, through the forest, you know, like I go one speed. I got, I got 80 pounds of meat on my back. I'm one speed. I got nothing on my back. I'm one speed. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there. Like, like I'm like, Dan, go over that mountain. I'll meet you there like tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. No, um, in Montana, we're pretty fortunate because we get so much uh, private land that in, during hunting season turns into public land. And it's kind of cool. Um, I had a buddy come out from way out of state, come uh, antelope hunting with me this last year. Um, and it was during rifle season, and it was I, I, I wasn't very for sh- – I don't know. I didn't think it was actually going to pan out very good. I, I just thought it was going to be super difficult being in rifle season, and they were just getting shot up. And, and uh, called my buddy Kyle. I was like, oh, man, what do you got for spots? I, I'm going to hit my spot that I always go to. I just don't know if it's going to be roached or what it's all going to be. And Kyle's like, believe it or not, there's a place that you've driven by – I don't know how many times. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? And he lined me up on this little tiny piece of public. Public, right? I mean, or no, it's private, it's, but it's block management, correct? Yeah, it's block. 
but it's always been there. It's been there forever, for it's, years. It's regulated. You, you can't rifle hunt it. Yeah, can't rifle But it's archery only or weapons restriction, kind of. Yep. Um, cool little spot. It's like this little triangle piece and just uh, just a crazy pl- crazy place. And It's actually both sides. It is. It is both sides. Yeah, it is. So it's actually kind of cool. And I just I wish I was a little bit better about that. And I'm getting better about uh, I always call Fish and Game and have them send me the, the booklet every year for the um, block management. My dad's got a pretty good-sized ranch um, kind of over by where you are at, Brian. Mm-hmm. And uh, he turns basically the entire thing uh, into – block management you know for everybody every year and they do a lot of antelope hunting out there and it's actually a really good thing and uh there's a lot of private ranches in montana a ton of them um even some of these mountain ranges are privately owned you know and so it's kind of nice when when the ranchers you know i really appreciate when they uh kind of take the extra step and try helping out the you know definitely the local guys and everybody else i mean it's pretty cool that they turn it into public for that section of the season yeah, for there, us. there's some dang good block management out it's there it's so much fun yeah, yeah. It's, it's a montana program and the block management also comes up on your onyx maps too yes. and then it has a, a link to you know that map and the rules on it and there's different rules for the block management some of it's free for all go for it mm-hmm. don't have to sign in don't have to check with the owners you know other spots you have to sign in on the sign in box and the date and take a slip and and then other spots you have to call the owner and introduce yourself to the owner but yeah what a great program to open up more lands to the public and they also have uh, in Idaho, they have Access Yes, yep. which is the a similar program to the block management, and and probably in other states as well. You know, I just haven't looked into it. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's it helps us out a lot around here. Um, there we do have a lot of state property and everything, but it just seems like a lot of times during hunting season, the state property gets hit first, and so it's like it's always really good hunting right around the state property. You know, they cross over there all the time. But yeah, that being able to access that, um, you know, private land, but that turns into public. I just love that. It's so much fun to be able to hunt those places and, and to learn them. And there's a lot of places out there I don't even know about, and, and I'm learning even every single year. I'm finding out more places. Like actually, this this place a little bit later in season, but it opens up to to archery only for for deer or for elk or for antelope and so it's kind of cool to be able to learn those different spots and you know everybody can do it you just got to be willing to learn dan's much better at that stuff than i am like it you guys probably explore more because you've been to different states um i i have my spots you know i have my spots where i'm willing to walk a little bit higher than somebody else because i know something's there like i just i i'm very i don't know i'm a, a creature of habit yeah a creature of habit with it, and I just go there because I know everything's there. I just got to work a little bit harder because I've been there so long. Brian's not that guy. Brian, uh, in my opinion, they don't care where he's at. He'll figure out a way. He'll figure out a different spot. It doesn't matter. I mean, go ahead and take his best spots on planet Earth, and he'll find other ones. I mean, he's always been like that ever since the day one I've hunted with him, and, and I've tried to learn the same technique. And so traveling around, hitting different spots in different country and different states and, and this and that, I doesn't bother me a bit. You know, I could have a sweet spot anywhere I go, and it's like, what's over there? You know, what's in that drawer? What's on that point? If I get to that vantage, how much more does this open up to me? I mean, you, why not learn it all, learn it even more? So it's, I think I'm just... I'm one of those type of guys that are just super curious. Like I gotta, I gotta travel. I gotta just check it out for myself and just and figure it out. You know what's over the top. I just, I just really like that. It, it's so much fun. It can't, it can't be a hindrance, though. They, sometimes slower is faster. Mm-hmm. Like I hunted with Dan last year a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> and we got on this, we got on this little spot, and I watched both of us watch these bulls and cows funnel out of this hole, like one after another. I'm like, when is this gonna stop? And we happened to be in a big ditch where we could make a play on him. And Dan being Dan, I'm slow. He's fast. You know, we're 
we're tortoise hair type deal. And I was like, damn, just slow down and watch this. Go over by that piece of sagebrush, and that that bull's gonna walk right by you. Like it will walk by you. And it was a, mm-hmm. I, it was it was a good bull. Mm-hmm. He was a really good bull. That was the biggest bull I hunted this year. I mean, it was uh, no no brainer three forty, but he was probably more of the three fifty. It was it was I would, I put him mid three fifties. Yeah, like he was a good bull. He was a great one. Dark, just mud from top to bottom. Been run, rolling and stuff all day long. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I mean, I think not that Dan's wrong because Dan kills a lot of animals. He kills a lot more than I do. Um, very successful. Very, very successful. But we walked by that bull. Mm-hmm. I mean, we walked by him. We didn't We didn't let the situation play out. Right. You know, and uh, like I said, I told you the biggest thing I'm working on, and I told you the last few years I've been working on, is my patience game. I am not a patient person. At all. I'm not patient at work. <laughs> I'm not patient at, at hunting. All. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying. I'm yeah, really trying. Too. Yep. Yeah, patience. Why not let that it unfold be a, a little bit? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Or getting close and let the situation unfold. Yeah the, yeah. the more patient you are, the the better off you are. But it it's tough out there. You just always want to go over the next hill or chase them there, chase them down here, stalk them there. And sometimes your best play is to sit back and let it unfold. Well, yeah. at point in case, like I, I have people, the, the spots that I hunt, I have people walk by me daily, daily walk by me because they're going. They're, they got somewhere to go. And I found that the, the slower I am, the more I pay attention, the more successful I am. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys are the exact opposite. You guys are very successful because you go for it. You go. You're, you're, you got you got to get over there. And I'm I'm the guy sitting back on top of the hill eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwich at, <laughs> at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's just it's it's two different schools of of hunting, two different thoughts. Yeah. For sure. Multiple ways to be successful. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. And so what you've got is you've got spots that you know. Like, and, and not that all your spots are the same, but at least that spot I know about, it's like a travel corridor where they love to move through and you've got a big population that live down on the lower end of it. And eventually they filter up through and they filter up through this one travel corridor. And so you'll stage up in that travel corridor and you'll wait till those elk move up. And whether that takes, you know, an hour or whether that takes a day or two or three days, eventually they're going to come through there and you're going to be there waiting for them. It's, it's, I'm. I'm not that patient. I won't wait a couple days. Um, hunting with Dan this year kind of opened my eyes to a couple different places where you can be successful. You know, you don't. I don't have to stay in my one spot. You don't have to do that. But I will give. I will give that spot a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Yeah. I will because it's I, I know. Good for you. I yeah. know it's produced, and I and I've killed four, three bulls, three of the four bulls within a mile of each other. You know, I mean. I can put them to bed. People are back at their camps eating breakfast, and I'm still sitting on my butt on on a ridge in a piece of sagebrush hiding from people waiting for the elk to walk by. You know, I mean, I know where they go. I know where they bed. And three three of those bulls I've shot past 11 o'clock in the morning. You know, I, I put them to bed. Yep. Kill so, them in their beds. Yep. I, I love bed and elk down like that. And especially in more open terrain, you're able to, where they don't disappear in the deep, dark timber. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you can bed them, um, then you can, you can really do a methodical, slow, planned out stock on them. And it just seems like you can get into range. And then the, the afternoon, you get those directional winds that kind of muffle your sound a little bit. And that's um, what I wait for in that spot is, yeah. is the wind to go one direction because it always goes one direction in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And that's why they that's why they bed there because to get to where you need to kill them it's it's not a a fun walk, you know people don't want to do that 
and then then you got a, th- a three or four mile hike back to your to your vehicle mm-hmm. and people people aren't willing to do that yeah. you know no I it's mean, a ways in there weren't you telling me before that you actually hide in this brush and you actually have people walk by you and they don't even know you're there yeah same same ridge you're like i've had you wave i had at them and they don't even know you're last there. year i had 11 people walk by me on that ridge walk by me had no idea i was there walk by me i heard them talking the whole time walk down to the down to the bottom and and looked and then turn around and walk back to their trailer they were off the mountain by 9 30 hmm. so yeah, i mean wild. it's just i mean and there's 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 tree. time for run and gun and there's time for for sit and eat your peanut butter and jelly sandwich at eight o'clock yep <laughs> well and i think like you try to adapt to the situation that you're seeing in real time like um wherever you're seeing elk like that's where you need to play the game at um i think it's so important on these hunts like you make this game plan and you're gonna check this spot and you're gonna be on this vantage and walk this ridge line and when you get there it seems like it's all different you know you see elk in different spots or they don't come up the gulch you're waiting on and and so you have to roam out and go find them in different areas but i i think taking all that information and being able to evolve on the fly and adapt on the fly to what you're seeing in real time i think that's super important to be successful yeah for sure i mean i mean completely agree. it doesn't matter whether it's down to the weather whether it's down to just a year um what we ran into like i mean i hate to say this but like moon phases and stuff i hate to say that <laughs> uh, moon but, phases with coos deer yeah, yeah. Exactly. it's just like that's frustrating but yeah i mean you got to just take what you're dealt and uh, make the best out of it yeah. and make smart decisions and a lot of times you're gonna you're gonna learn on your way through and if you can be successful great but a lot of times you, you know you might come home you know not being su- successful that weekend or that week but uh yeah it's changes every time i got like i got several money spots i always go to also but i've actually never killed anything there i've always killed around there you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i I have the places where i like to go and maybe it's just i should start calling it my starting points those are my starting points that's where i'm gonna go to i'm gonna try to get myself or truck or whatever i'm trying to get there get to that point and then that's where i start and then venture out from there you know when i i think back to that like like all these hunts, it seems like you have to adapt to what you're seeing. The plan doesn't just come together. And I think about like that hunt we had in Wyoming, and we had scouted how many bucks there? Oh, man. Um, hundreds of bucks we had scouted there and multiple shooters. And we had that place dialed in, and we were hunting Colorado first. You killed in Colorado. I came yeah. up short. Um, and uh, then we went to Wyoming. All these bucks we had scouted, we went up into this high country, the same vantage points, and nobody in there. It looks perfect. And we get in there, and we start glassing around. And all of a sudden, there's just no deer. There's no bucks up in there. Nothing. They're not there. I think we spotted a four-point, like a like a three- or oh, four-year-old, was... like about 150-inch. Yeah. Yep. And we would sat there and went, I don't know. What do you think? It might be all we see. You know, It might be our only chance. But it was and... like we were just uh... – we, we knew it produced so much more. There were so many bucks in there. And so what happened was is we ended up going lower, diving off the main ridge and diving down where these bucks had moved down off their alpine basins into these secondary ridges in and through there. And the bucks were still bachelor herded up and in there rutting around. And we were able to find them down lower and then start playing on them where you couldn't find a buck up high where we had seen hundreds of them in, in summer scouting, three different trips we had made in there. And just that adapting to what we were seeing and then hunting them low. And then I ended up killing one of my best bucks in there, this this great big hard hard horn typical the last day of the hunt after me and dan almost got in a fist fight the day before <laughs> not really but really um got a, got ourselves caught on a little cliff <laughs> yeah but um yeah i just that 
that being able to adapt to the to the situation that's present to you, you know, that presents itself right there at that mm-hmm. moment is so important. Yep. How do you guys keep up your your mental toughness on these hunts? Ooh, that's I a mean, good subject. Just, that's man, a great that, one. I just I I sit back and I listen to Dan tell his stories and and listen to your podcasts and I just can't understand like there's guys that put in two days and a weekend and they're like, "Ooh, I'm spent. I'm done." And you guys are putting in 10, 12, 14 days on some of these hunts. How do you how do you keep your motivation and your attitude right? Do you want to take this first or you want me to? Uh, you go ahead, but it's definitely tougher solo than it is with a buddy. With a buddy, it's easier. Uh, 100% but yeah, what, agree. What's your, okay, how think, do you approach it? Think of it this way. Um, what do you think of all year long? What do you look forward to all year long? Hunting. Killing elk. Bow hunting. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, you have that in your mind. You made all these plans. You got the wife at home that's gunning for you. You made plans. You got t- time off of work. You got coolers full. You got whether you got, you're running a four-wheeler, running a uh, truck over there. It so doesn't much matter. money invested. You, you're invested. And it's not just about the money. You're just invested in everything. You got all these plans made. You've been looking for it all year. You've shot your bow 3,000 times in the off season, you are just, you. everything you own is dialed. Your mind is wrapped around it. So you're there. You're finally to where you think about all year long. And I, when I very first started hunting with Brian, I had some bad hunts because I got wore out. Um, mental, mentally, I was run down. Um, I just, I wasn't, I knew what I wanted, but I wasn't, like I said, like our coos deer hunt, I, I knew what I wanted, and I went down there, and I, we weren't seeing bucks for a few days, and we just weren't seeing them, but I was still, I was enjoying it because I knew how much I look forward to doing this, and that's what I keep in the back of my head. Um, if you can keep your body in decent enough shape so you're not getting yourself so worn down, whether that means uh, go to bed earlier, um, I mean, I don't even know what it is. It's just try to keep yourself as health, healthy as possible, and then... Um, you know, rest if you need to rest. Don't overdo it. But it's it's what I look forward to all year long. So you're down there. Um, a really important, <coughs> excuse me, important thing that you have to keep in mind. Who are you hunting with? Is is he bringing something to the table? Is he helping you out? Uh, Brian is. I'm very fortunate to hunt with Brian because Brian doesn't know this very often, but he's a motivator. Whether he's not acting to be, he, I don't think he has to motivate me at all, but he does just the way he talks and how excited he gets about it. And I think I do the same thing when I'm finally in it, I'm, I'm hiking in, we're excited. I and mean, we just keep each other motivated all, throughout the whole hunt. And trust me, we've been in lightning storms. We've been in snow, hail, rain. I'm swimming across rivers. I mean, you name it, we've done it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, I mean, in the back of your head, you're like, man, this is going to make a sweet story if we live through this, you know I mean? It's, it's everything involved with it. Like I said, it's, everybody's on my side. Like I got so much backing to get this done. I'm in country. You might have a shit night or a a crap day. Just wait until the next day. Maybe the next day, maybe tomorrow it's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe the 200 inch buck that you know that lives here is going to give yourself, he's going to bed in the spot and you're going to actually be successful. Always think positive thoughts. Be positive in, t- in your whole hunt. I mean, whether that's uh, taking a little bit longer break, having your hunting buddy like, dude, can we slow down? I got to check my feet. I got to dry. I got to do something, dry my gear out so I'm enjoying a little bit more. You know, I had to change my clothes. I don't know how many times down in Arizona because I was covered in stickers. And I, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I had to, I mean, all the time. I was constantly changing. I, I think I wore every single piece of, cl- piece of clothing I brought down there to get through the hunt. But it's just mental, mentally toughness. You just gotta, you gotta stick it out. You're there, you're there for a reason. You're, you, you are invested um, financially. I mean, you are taking time off of work, and you're probably a couple hundred dollars within tags or whatever. But 
I mean, you're there, you're enjoying it. I mean, stick it out and just see what happens. I just, you just gotta be, you gotta be strong. Don't make it excuses. Uh, one thing that I've always said to everybody I talk to is whatever you do, don't regret it. If you go home two days early, you go home a week early, you go home even an hour early, you'll get home and you won't be successful. You will regret that the entire year because that's happened to me many, many, many times. And I will never let that happen to me again. I hate going home and having to regret. If I, like Arizona, I was, I was, I did not fill my Coosier tag. Do I have any regrets down there? Absolutely not. I had a blast. I did not kill, but I had a blast and I went 110% the entire time. I did not ever lax. I don't think we ever took a break. We just went for it. And yep. I think that's what it's all about. Don't go home regretting or like, man, why didn't I just stay until that one more evening? And you drive home in the dark or why, did, why didn't I stay that extra day? I mean, maybe the rain would let up that extra hour. I mean, it just, I don't know. There's so many things involved. And like I said, it means so much to me and I look forward to it all year. You just, you got to push through. You have to make it happen. Yeah, eternally optimistic. Like I always think the next day is going to be it. Or even if we don't find him, you know, the next spot's going to be it. The The next morning's going to be it. Oh, we didn't see him this morning. Oh, tonight's going to be good. We're going to hit this new spot. Like I'm always I'm always thinking it's going to be really good out. Like that's what I go for. And I, I think, you know, had that payoff enough on late in hunts where even when I don't find animals the first four, five, six days – like it comes together in the end, day seven, day eight, day nine. And so I keep believing and I, I draw from past hunts. I, I draw from my training a lot, like trail running, like not wanting to keep doing miles, but you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, I, like Dan says, you just kind of remind yourself of everything you have into it when you're back there and you're finally doing it. And it's, it's not fun all the time, but it's really fun to look back on. You know, any, anytime you're done with a hunt, you're always thinking about that past hunt. And it seems like the more you put in it, the more it means to you in the end. And I just keep believing in that and keep, you know, if I keep putting forth the effort, I'm going to get a stock. And if I keep getting stocks, I'm going to shoot an animal. You know, it's just a matter of time. I just need a sliver of opportunity. And sometimes it seems like it's absolutely impossible under the conditions but I just keep trying. I just keep going, keep putting forth the effort, keep believing in myself, believing I can get it done. And, you know, a lot of times it does come together. Sometimes it doesn't, but it's always nice in the end when you don't have regrets, when you did go super hard, like Dan was saying. Yeah. I, I always find myself kind of envying Dan and, and his ability to always, he always puts in the days that he has off to hunt. He's gone. He's hunting. He is hunting. He's, he's going for it. He's, he's putting in the time and the effort. I find myself if I can make it past day three, then I'm I'm golden. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the first couple of days where I'm like, man, I miss my family, I miss my kids, I miss my wife. I just want to sleep in my own bed. I'm not <laughs> sleeping in the yeah. back of my truck. Um, it, it's you guys you guys deal with it more than I do because I only take a week a year, you know. I mean, other than weekends, but you guys you guys hit it a lot harder than I do. And I was just, I was just curious how you guys how you guys manage that. Mm-hmm. It with each other. Um, you also have to like to suffer a little bit. Like you, <laughs> like you just get a little bit of enjoyment out of it or Love a little kick out oh, of it. It's or, miserable, but it was awesome. Yeah, and with a buddy, like you can always kind of joke around at how bad it is. Yeah. Like it, it's always like a it's always funny to us, you know, when we're in bad situations or when we have a million miles to hike out of there with a deer on our back. It's it's like funny in a weird. Uh, a, a weird dark way it's it's hilarious you know i don't know why that but is there's but there's always that little bit of competition too it's like well i look over and brian's getting it done he's not he's not he's complaining not you know it's like 
damn it, sack up, boy. Let's let's make let's make this happen, you know. And and we've had some, like I said, some extreme hunts where I told Brian, I was like, dude, I don't know if one of us is gonna make it. And I remember sprinting off this freaking thirteen thousand, I think it's thirteen one or thirteen two peak, and telling him, I was like, dude, I just got, I just left work and I just had CPR training, but I hope you know what the hell you're doing when it comes to that, because I thought one of us is gonna get nailed. I thought one of us was gonna go down. That's how serious it got. And uh, look back on it, yeah, it was great, great experience, I guess. Um, oh, you, remember that day, and then that night we made it back to camp, oh and it, it got us again up and through but there. But we, we, we smiled. We were mm-hmm. still smiling in a way. We were still like, this is what it's all about. I, this is what we're doing. We're, we're making it happen. And it was just, it was crazy. And we have one of the best vantages I've ever seen in my life because of that storm. Yep. We learned from that storm. It we brought us on the other side. We couldn't survive at the top of the mountain anymore. I had this, well, we had this spot that we found. And when we'd sit up and we'd sit at the top of the mountain, we'd come over the ridge every day and we'd make plays down on bucks. And we had these lightning storms just blow us up. And it was one of those years where they were rolling in every single day. There was just bangers above you, you know. And 13,000, when they start banging around you, like, it feels like somebody's shooting at you. It's, it feels like Arsenal and the way they just shake and well, rattle. And they pretty don't soon, let up. It's it's hit after hit after hit. I mean, it's, they, it doesn't take a break. And your heart just jumps in your throat like everyone that comes really close because you'll have – 30 to 50 strikes within a half mile that are flash booming right there on you. It's spooky. And so, you know, that time we we figured out it was that. And also we weren't getting good plays on yeah. the bucks because we couldn't keep track of the whole feature. And so we decided to go down off the other end and lose two, 3,000 feet of elevation in glass and keep an eye on the whole feature, the entire thing. And so we went down safe from the lightning, down in the trees in there. And then we had a vantage point that looked up at all of it, could keep track of it and all the bucks and how they moved across it and then make these planned out stocks on them, even though it would take us an hour and <laughs> yeah. a half, two hours say, to get to them. you got to gain 3,000 feet to get to them. We know where they were. And that's actually how I killed my, that 200-incher yep. the yep. last time we were in that spot yep, exactly that's how we, it worked out. we bedded him from the low spot i went all the way around we used our knowledge and ended that up was one of the best pot. plays we've ever made um you went up for the stock and i had him cut off oh if yeah you missed him or you, he slipped by you he was gonna die anyways because i had him dead to rights yeah we started attacking bucks like uh where you go one guy for the stock and one guy on the escape route and we had this saddle that we had seen these bucks over the years. I killed they, that buck right there on my wall in that same saddle. That's right. Yep. Right in that saddle. Yep. And so they'd cross right there. And so uh, we set Dan hiked all the way around to be set up on the saddle. So if he came over, you know, he'd kill him right there. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out that time. But well, one of these days, like I love to explore, yep. but we still got a lot of exploring to do in that spot. We still haven't touched a lot of those drainages, you know, both directions. And that hillside is just the oh, bomb man, in there. It's, so it's as good as it gets. But yeah, I mean, my my advice would be, I mean, if if you're going to make all these plans to go on this hunt, why not stick it out and make it happen? Just push through it. Do something and entertain yourself. Look at the future. Look at the look at the tomorrow and just. I don't know, man. It's hard. I've had a lot of solo hunts where I'm making excuses, making excuses, start driving out. Then I've actually drove out of um, a couple places where I hunt, and I get on the highway, and all of a sudden I start feeling human again. Like I maybe that that uh, hour or two hour drive out with the heater on, it warmed my uh, warmed me up enough where I started feeling human again, or I got enough fluids, or I ate enough, or, or something happened, and I'm like, actually, I feel pretty good. And I've actually went down to town filled my truck up and turned around and went back in. I've done that several times. You know, thinking I'm going to quit, 
go go I, like I said, um, one of the biggest things I learned from Brian when him and I, I think it was during spring bear, we got hit with a hell of a snowstorm. And we were way down, way down river, is what I would call it, way down river in the mountains, like nasty country. And it was miserable. It was nasty hunting. And all he did was started a fire. We just had a little fire under a tree and we warmed up and let the snow stop and it was back it was game on back to hunting i felt 100 percent human did we spot a bear right after that yep, too? right after that yep <laughs> play on I so. uh, another big thing that i'm i'm kind of a schnob at it is uh my coffee i take the time boil some water it. boil some water have some coffee the moment you do that you start drinking on something warm oh my oh man you just it does everything for you it just brings back maybe having coffee in the morning at home you know or whatever whatever you do but it just it's the it's the warm and it gives you a little boost and that's huge i mean the coffee is just a big deal coffee's I I, magic in the backcountry it isn't is it so <laughs> nice brian totally screwed me on this hunt totally screwed me <laughs> I, did. I just i've never seen anything like it i mean we are down to no coffee i i brought hey, dan, dan I brought, brought a jar full yeah and then dumps it in the first two pots that we have so we have nice strong coffee and i keep telling him i'm like yeah i got a fresh bag my sister bought it for me for christmas i threw it in it's supposed to be good coffee and uh, so we run through your yeah, coffee, all, and I, I'm and like, it's got to be in my bag somewhere. He says he searches the whole truck. It's in the bag, not in the cooler. I searched the, the whole truck. I yeah. searched through my bag. And I'm like, went through what it twice. The hell? I told Dan, like, okay, next step is pulling everything out of the truck and throwing it all back in. And, and then I yeah. kind of, I said, well, no, I searched the bag. It's not in there. Well, for us, coffee is such a big deal. We actually drove out. Went and found a town in a little <laughs> store and bought. I think it the was on the way of moving. Coffee. To be fair, I don't. <laughs> the think, only coffee are we, being we dramatic could find. Here? Are we being a little <laughs> dramatic? Okay, the only ground up coffee because I don't know how many people bring a grinder with them. I guess I should start doing that. But um, was a freaking thing of Folgers. <laughs> and and uh, you had my Folgers coffee <laughs> yeah, this last year. It was. Horrid. <laughs> it was so. I, I took folders. one drink of it and I spit it out and I'm like, nope, nope. And Anyways, he goes, hey, it's coffee. So ha- yeah, it's hardly real, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's uh, just nasty. I mean, I'm pretty spoiled. We, I, uh, we, my girlfriend actually orders me in coffee i mean it's it's i think kyle i, I think yeah. i actually get it yeah. from you actually we're we're a little bit of coffee snobs and so sure. yeah, uh, i have mine delivered every month no so we're doing <laughs> we're doing folgers for three four days straight and i'm like well i guess it's is kinda, what it is kinda <laughs> co- it looks like coffee from a distance it's fine and then all of a sudden brian's like Oh, hey, look, I found my coffee, like, on the last day of the hunt. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? I think it was the last day because we, I don't think I ever tried it. it. It was, to be fair, it was tucked behind my bag, <laughs> oh, in between yeah. my bag and the seat. Yeah. So it wasn't in my bag. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did mess up that one on this past hunt. No, I just think take what, take what you need to take with you that's going to make you comfortable. Whether it's a little bit more weight, whether whatever it is, take something with you that's going to make you more comfortable. Kyle, you have a, actually a really, really sweet setup. Um, you hunt out of a enclosed pull-behind trailer that is set up with it's got a, a bed, bed and room to put in a freezer, and it's all wired in, so you just have your a battery for lights, and then you can put a generator onto it. So you got the freezer there. He can actually run a grinder for coffee in his little camper deal, and it's a super little lightweight little enclosed we trailer. Had, we had movie nights. And it's sweet. <laughs> put the movie, yeah. plug, the, plug the laptop in, watch a movie. Yeah, I mean, it's It's, it, it's, it's crappy. Sweet. It's rainy. You want to take a morning off, sit there and warm up breakfast burritos. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean. Well, and they're. 
there's so many of these hunts where you got to have a truck base camp like that, yeah. or that's where you jump off from. It it seems like the most effective way. I, lo- I love hiking deep into the wilderness, and sometimes that's the most effective way, but a lot of times it's camping with your truck, just like this past Arizona hunt or a well, lot my, of the hunts my, I do uh, where you can be mobile. My Idaho trip, I went solo late season Idaho backcountry during the rut muley hunt, mm-hmm. and uh, it was brutal. It was extremely miserable i got in there i got to where i wanted to be and then the snow just started coming down i woke up the next morning um that first night it snowed 12 inches and then hiking around at a brand new spot never been down there before hiking around and it's super cloudy pictures on the phone and he's like how do i hunt this he took a picture and you can literally see 20 yards nothing that's it and i'm on the top of a mountain going wow i have a sweet vantage of a snowstorm I mean, it, it was just, it was super brutal. Um, I did, I had to run the camp or the truck camp um, then. I wasn't going to, you know, I didn't have my wall tent. I didn't have any, a camper or nothing like that. So I was just running the truck and moving around in different spots. And that's the problem with not scouting a unit. I, uh, you and I hunted down there kind of next to a unit. I was, I ended up hunting in a different range than what you and I did, Brian. Yep. Um, so it was just kind of learning as you go and then not, and learning as you go and not being able to see, I was just kind of running blind. Um, and it was super cold. It was below zero. I'm sleeping in the back of the truck. It got so cold that I did what I hate to do is I ended up starting my truck, crawling from the back of the bed the, under the topper through the slider window and into the back seat. And you know how un- uncomfortable that is. But it's just like anything to get a little bit of heat on you so I could actually sleep. Wake up in the morning at like 4 or 5 o'clock and go for a good hike of, you know, a foot, foot and a half of snow. And uh, it was a brutal, brutal hunt. But I ended up learning a lot. And I had a play that would have been my biggest buck to my career. I mean, it would have been a stud and it was kind of wild. It was, uh, there was good bucks rutting down low, um, right out of the, the, um, ag fields. And there was rutting bucks completely on the very top of the peaks. It was just kind of top and bottom, wherever you wanted to travel. And it was a great hunt. I learned a lot. Um, I got a lot to learn hunting, uh, rutting bucks, you know, they, they're moving around a lot and there's a lot of activity going on and you got to read the does, not necessarily the bucks. And so, yeah, I learned a lot, but I mean, it was just be a little bit more prepared when you're going to a place you don't know and maybe check the weather in advance and just be a little bit more prepared. You hit like the a, snowstorm perfect, huh? Yeah, it was <laughs> brutal. I think I was down there for five days, and four out of the five days, it was almost a whiteout. Well, and half the time, I've got time off, and I, I'll see a weather pattern coming, mm-hmm. and I'll just try to go, well, it doesn't look that bad. It looks like a break here. It looks like it's going to come in, and as, it, as long as I get in there, then I'll be able to wait it out a couple days and then hunt. Oh, my gosh, do I screw myself doing that. Like, <laughs> you're right. Watching that weather report and kind of planning your hunt around that weather, especially when you've got a, a three-day window or even a five-day window, but you, you lose two or three of those days due to weather, you yeah. know, and, and and then you're down to just a couple of days that you're effective. Yeah, that's that's a tough deal. Yep. But no, I would capitalize on the days off you can. Um, there's a lot of people that are just weekend hunters, but, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe get in the country, have your truck loaded up. Like, let's say you work uh, Monday through Friday, you get off Friday, let's say five o'clock. Why not have your truck at work completely loaded, ready to go? You're off work. You already said your goodbyes uh, that morning to your family. So the moment you're off work, you're uh, you're heading out of town. You're grabbing a Red Bull on the way, and and, you, and you're off to the mountain. You know, it gets yeah. you there. It gets you set up in country. I mean, yeah, maybe it's an extra night away from the family, but it's also uh, a night that. Um, Either you're going to be sleeping in bed or you're going to be sleeping in country. I mean, it could make a huge difference. Yeah, well, we get uh, more time now to be able to take off and, and go hunt on these adventure hunts. But for a long time there, it was weekend warriors. It was, yeah. And 
and I was always trying to add hunts. Um, you know, I had a weekend or I had mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday. Okay. So if you take Saturday and drive over that shoots Saturday morning, you got Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then drive home, you get two hunts. Well, if you drive home, you, you drive over there Friday after work, like you're saying, well, everything we, we did that up. a lot and it got brutal. We were pulling all nighters <laughs> all the time. Yep. And I then was Sunday pull- hunt the evening and then drive home in the dark that night, yep. get home late and then try to be at work the next day. But yep. adding hunts, it was what we needed to be successful. And we, I, I think yeah. it's something that we we all take advantage of or take take forward advantages is our family allowing us to do this oh absolutely you oh, know yeah. it's, it's a lot of it's time tough away. On, it's tough on on wives that you leave kids with and and they're stuck with kids all by themselves for a weekend and yep. it's tough it's it tough for tough. them yeah it's definitely a balance yeah you know my my girl uh she uh she really 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 um, has my back on it and supports me a lot. And, and she takes care of the home front and the animals and uh, helps with the kids and does a just incredible job. And so it's like, I hate to take advantage of that. She just keeps letting me go. So I'm just going to keep going, <laughs> <Just> keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as long as I can. So no, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just awesome. You got to work as a team and, you know, give her her time right now. It's off season for me. Just got back from AZ. So I'm just going to, you know, I got a couple months before my, uh, bear season starts. I, you know, I'm going to hang out with the family, do a bunch as much as I can. And, uh, you know, go from there. So when I, when it comes to, comes to season, when I have a tag in my pocket, I, I'm going to be good to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hunt hard. I, this is going to be a really good year. 2018 is going to be really good for me. I, I think I got my vacation time planned out really well. Got a lot of plans in the making. Um, just comes down right now for, uh, let's just find out what we draw. I mean, it comes down to that. I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Yeah. I feel a lot of good tags in my future. <laughs> I, I hope so. You know, you you know, know I, I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but, uh, do you think even one of us is ever going to draw a Montana tag? <laughs> oh, the cheap moose or goat? Yeah, or why not? Even a deer or elk, for that yeah. matter. Yeah. I got a ton of deer points. I looked yeah. uh, today, actually. I was on the computer looking at... Because you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to do the mandatory Idaho report. Mm-hmm. And they called me at work today. Okay. How they got my work number, I have no idea. But mm-hmm. that don't, don't forget about that. When they say uh, take a survey after your hunt, make sure you do it. Yeah, uh, different states have different rules, and it seems like you got to, you know, read through their regulations with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that you catch everything and that you mm-hmm. do do your mandatory reporting. Yeah. And a lot of these states um, will penalize you, like, the next year you can't apply or yep. can't have a tag there if you don't do your mandatory reporting. So, yeah, it is important. Yeah. And, and it's not just on the special tags, uh, even on a deer or an elk tag. Yep. And I talked to the lady, and she was way cool about it. So it's all, it's all good. But I was just like, are you kidding me? I was like, I totally forgot. She's like, actually, if you look at your tag and on the back, it's, and I read, I'm like, oh, wow, you are correct. I'm sorry. And it, it's, it clearly says 10 days. You have a 10-day grace period after your hunt to report it. And I literally just did it today, and it has been how many months? Yep. So she was way cool. She's like, it's your first time hunting down there. She's like, it, you're all good to go. So it was, it was cool. But I should, uh, I should have reminded you. Too. No, I just, I don't know why I forgot about it. Because I, I know we talked about it before. I just completely spaced it. So, but it, it all works out. It's all good. Learn from it. Lots of things to learn. Yep. Well, and like you say, unfamiliar place, unfamiliar regulations. Yep. Yep. I got to go back there because I. Uh, I had $1,000 worth of tags down there, and I didn't tag anything, but, man, did I have some epic hunts. Yeah. Great hunts down there. I, d- I don't have any regrets. I had a blast. It was the first, uh, uh, be honest with you, the first camera experience I've had. Uh, I played cameraman, and it it was a whole different beast of a challenge, mm-hmm. and I had a blast because that entire hunt, I didn't miss anything. It was just like if I had the bow in my hands, I 
was there for the entire stock or the entire kill. I was I did not miss a second of anything. Mm-mm. So yeah, it was it's just kind of cool. It was a different experience for me, and I had a tag in my pocket too, and I went for it. I had many plays, and it just is what it is, you know. I went back again solo because I had a tag in my pocket, so it's like you got to go for it, and that was fun. That was a fun hunt. Uh, the rut down there was awesome. I have nothing bad to say. It was great hunting, so very cool. Oh, I've always wanted to hunt that late during the rut. Oh, man. That was our plan from the very start. Just didn't connect on that weekend, and then we were going to go again later. Didn't you just go out didn't of season? Out. Weren't you gone? Oh, no, not yet. You, I thought you left to go whitetail hunting. You you, were at, you weren't out of state yet. You went on a different hunt. That's right. For some reason, every, every time. Hawaii? Were you in Hawaii at that point? Where was I? No, I was thinking of of the Ohio hunt for some reason. That Ohio hunt keeps hitting me, but it wasn't. It wasn't then. It was a. It was. I think it was a Montana hunt. But yeah. Anyways, trying to keep up with everybody's hunts is impossible. So fortunate. You had a great year, man. You had AK. You had Hawaii, Ohio. I don't even know the rest. I don't know. Lots. Idaho, Montana. I deserve. No, you did great though. You had a great, great season. Great season. So much fun. Hunting for myself, hunting with buddies, help. Yeah, you, you know, did hunting great. with friends. Um, then to... I started hunting with your buddies. You're passing buddies on to me to hunt with. <laughs> 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 that worked out good. It was fun. Yeah. No, you guys did good. No, it was a great season. Just uh, fun to be in the woods chasing them around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, able to get lucky, get a couple arrows in them. What about you, Kyle? What do you got for plans? You got some tags putting in for the Montana stuff and going Standard for it? Montana stuff. Yeah. I kind of stick around here. You know, I don't. I don't have a whole lot of time off work to, to be running around like you jokers do. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you guys are super lucky. You know, Montana's so fun, though. We have it so is. much opportunity We're here in Montana. We're so, all so blessed to have. We are. We would never miss a Montana hunt. No, no. way. Antelope, elk, deer, you got all you could ask for. I'm right excited here. for antelope. I get a kick out of antelope. Mm-hmm. But Humbling um, experience every year. Oh, man, those things. Why do I always, every year. in the off season, I always make it think that it's not that hard. Oh, antelope hunting, it's easy. Yeah. It's because it's flat. You don't think about how hard you work for it yeah. when oh, you're man. out there all day long stepping on rattlesnakes and cactus, dragging your thighs through cactus. Oh, it is absolutely miserable. Yep. Hard so much it. fun. Oh, it's so <laughs> much fun. It's, I might fit right in in Arizona. Yeah, I'm exactly. Right? You'd enjoy it. Yeah, suffer fast. I'm not kidding you in, in Arizona, and I know Brian already said this, but it worked both ways. I was making a stock on a buck. I was way up high on this peak. And I and I, I knew these bucks were right below me, and I thought they did. And I was glassing like crazy, and I'm in the sun. I'm feeling good. I'm like, oh, it feels kind of good. And a little breeze comes up, and you know, it's yeah, it's rough. It's like 68, maybe 69 That's degrees. Super and, rough. And I actually ended up putting up an, on another layer. You know, I was like, oh, I'll just put another layer on because there's a little breeze. And and I'm like, oh, I better see. Maybe Brian's like, I look down at Brian, and I am not shitting you. He's pant. His pants were around his ankles, <laughs> and he was going for it. He was picking stickers out of his underwear and i'm like and i text him i'm like uh what, what are you what, doing what are you doing gay <laughs> i was like what are the odds looking down there and he's like yeah i gotta get this cactus out or whatever it is oh, i had something that just laced in there would not get out <laughs> uh, did you ever find out what the hangman's cactus is called no um miserable look that one up no yeah. it was actually it was a <laughs> cool it was a cool one there was there were some neat ones we found uh um what do you call the big flatties um, what are those big, the swirl cactuses, <laughs> the big, uh, flat oh, prickly big, pears, oh, prickly pears. We found, we found some patches of uh, bright purple ones. They're really cool. Really colorful cactuses down there. And then, uh, yeah, some great big ones, obviously like the ones you see all over the license plates. Those things are huge, man. Swirls. They're big. 
Yeah, Sporo Cactus. Unbelievable. Walking yeah. is like, holy cow, those things are – I wonder how old that thing is. Different place on planet Earth, that's yep. for sure. No, I'm excited. It's going to be a great year. Uh, I've got a lot, of, a lot of work to do at my job, but I'm hoping everything goes good and I still get this, as much time off as I can totally take. You know, I try to – every year I use the maximum amount I can take, so I'm planning on doing it again, you know. Go out and shovel your archery range and shoot arrows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. You guys got to keep – diligent you know in this off season with training and shooting and it's important Mm -hmm. not slip on what you've gained it's not given yeah nothing is given no try to gain more man if you're out there and it's off season try what what did you lax this year on what happened this year that you laxed on well maybe you think about fixing that you know maybe this year was the first year i haven't killed an elk with a bow in five five years i had to use a rifle to kill one we butchered that one. That oh, was a good. We did. Was it was. Thing. It is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. No, it just is what it is, you know. And and uh, I think you know what you did wrong on that hunt. I don't want to touch on it. Nothing that was your fault or anybody else. What'd you do fault. wrong? Uh, <laughs> I want to touch on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I well, I think what it comes down to is that you have to pick the right people to hunt with. Okay. You have to. Yep. And. I mean, sometimes you got to be selfish. I was just going to say that sometimes you have to be selfish and and I I wasn't when you're hunting in a high, uh, high pressure area. There you go. High pressure area. You have to be selfish. If you have an animal that you can, you can harvest and you hold back for somebody else to help somebody, no good deed goes unpunished. And that's, that's what it comes down to. I mean, because how many? Because seriously, when you killed your last like four or five bulls, how many opportunities did you have either before, before, yeah, before that happened? None. Exactly. So now it it, it usually typically typically if you do it right, you get a good and play. you play it right. It it it. it I happens. mean, <laughs> I I sound kind of snobby saying this, but in four years that I hunted elk, where I hunt elk. I was there for a grand total of six days. That's insane. That's crazy. I found a good spot. A a good friend told me that this is a good spot, and I learned it, and I learned it, and I learned it, and I put miles in, in, in five square miles. And I put miles in. And I worked hard for it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I earned it. I earned every one of those bowls. But, I mean, it's just... You, you have to be selfish and if especially if you're putting meat on the table and that's what you that's what you live on through the year i you have to be selfish you have yeah. to yeah you learned it this year you you uh, stopped in over where i was at a couple times and and it just wasn't going your typical year i don't remember how many days you had going well i mean you were pushing a week in there yeah i mean i was there for 4 days and and that's that's tough for me because it was so quick in the previous years and the the thing is is that did you get panicky? I did. You panic because you're like, this is not working. I'm so used to this working, and it didn't. And I I could have killed very easily in my mind if I would have played my cards right on the first two days I was there. And one of them was, was an easy 340 bowl. Easy. And I just I didn't put myself first, and and I panicked at the end of the year during rifle season. I killed... A spike, and there was like three days left in the season. It was panic mode. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not buying beef. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No, just so. 
Yeah, I mean, you've been really fortunate getting those days. Like you said, you usually hunt, what, two, four, or five days for your elk season, and I'm like on day 30-something <laughs> for me you to know, get I one, take, you know? I take 11 days. I take, yeah. I take a, a two weekends and a full week. It ends up being about 11 days with travel time, and I try to get there as fast as I can. But um, I'm fortunate my my dad lets me use all of his stuff. You know, he's gone in Alaska working, and he lets me use his truck. He says, don't worry about it. Actually blew up his diesel. Yep, I was there. Yep, blew up Whoops. his diesel doing that. Whoopsie. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, 32-year-old son still breaking his dad's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm, I'm very fortunate. I am very, My wife is very good to me, and she says, take your time so I don't kill you. And uh, I, it's just, it's good. I mean, life is good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wild how sometimes at the end of those hunts, you think back to the opportunities you had on day one, day two, even that coos hunt. You mm-hmm. think back of that first stock you had on yep. that buck where you were in bow range or close to it, you know. And it's wild how you just want the, like, gosh, if I could just have that chance back, I'd play it different. I'd get it right. And it's it's just important to remember in the beginning of the hunt, if you see an animal that you want to take, you know, uh, take it seriously. Um, make a, a planned methodical stock on it. Don't take it for granted and really try to make it happen because you may get to the end of the hunt and be wishing you had that opportunity again. Yep. Exactly. Take it serious. Yeah, that's it. A lot of work and effort goes into it. Not like that, it, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very cool animal to be able to hunt all of them. Antelope. I love hunting antelope. I love hunting elk. I'm not into the mule deer like you guys are. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it is. We're very lucky to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Very lucky. Yeah. So. Oh, you got to get into mule deer. That's <laughs> <not crazy>. <laughs> <laughs> they're all different, man. I know, but they're, so are every other animal. They're the the biggest deer species. You know, I guess they're not bigger than elk or um, moose, but um, I don't know man, if you that, if you put uh, like what's above their head compared to what's bare their body. I bet they are. Oh, proportionally? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word I was not thinking of at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty simple word. But yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, that no. gets you excited. It's cool. Like I, I love mule deer. I think they're cool. Like They're all over Dan's house right now, and I'm super jealous. But I just – I don't I don't know. Yeah. It's just not maybe – if, maybe if I was able to take one, I'd change my mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think you would. Just getting into them. It's they're so, so exciting. You guys is, your guys' deal is so different than ours, though. Like, it, Well, at least mine. Um, th- to be able to go and hunt them in, in Utah and Colorado and Wyoming and like it's so different because you guys get to travel for that and it's it's like a mini vacation. Mule deer for me are like oh I'd, I I guess I'd shoot that one I guess I'll go for it even though I'm hunting something else. You know I mean it's just it's different it's different. Oh you got to be able to focus on them. Yeah. You know and and it doesn't have to be out of state and it doesn't have to be extreme high country. They live in such such vast such different terrains they live all the way from the top of the mountain to the valley floor and everywhere in between and a lot of those foothills or broken open country there's a lot of mule deer in there and a lot of fun to be had and they all look different you know you know, wide ones and tall ones and big fronts and big backs and heavy and look at the eye guards on that one look at dark horns you know and and they are so big compared to the deer they're they're rack size you know so um, and it's also, it's this, you know, a lot of it's this open country spot and stock. Um, you can keep track of them. You know, they, they're tough to harvest and, and challenging, but it's also feasible, you know? And so to get into some of those scenarios where you get into a bachelor herd of bucks and you get to make like the, the stocks are, 
they're they're way more thought out. Like uh, elk, you almost hunt aggressively. It sounds like you really plot out your stalks and getting in front of them, but but deer are the ultimate where sometimes you'll sit and watch them for an entire day or at least the entire morning and bed in their first spot and bed in their second spot. And then when you make the play, they have such big ears. And so you're just creeping in and every footfall, you know, is just like so silent. It might take you five minutes to move five See, I'm steps. I'm not a big ogre walking around. Like <laughs> you can Maybe. do it though. It's all about being slow. Um, I was going so to say that too. On. I don't think, I mean, Montana has some great opportunity for muley. I, yes. I, I think probably one of your funnest hunts you had all season was in Montana for it, muleys. It was. My late season rut hunt. was insane. It oh. sounded like it was completely crazy. It was. Just as much fun, if not funner than all – funner, is that a word? Anyways, more fun. More fun than yeah. any other hunt that we've been on. And we've hunted a lot of places. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, you don't need to go out of state. I mean, you still just got to find your places and, and just set time aside like, hey, I'm going to take this week for muleys. I mean, this – I'm not going to – just see one if I'm out antelope hunting or out elk hunting. I'm I'm gonna take these days and go muley hunting, and it it's a blast. I mean, it it is so much fun. Yeah, I mean, you you, you could take some weekends in November and go around here. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you you can feel your passion for these mule deer. Like you guys, it, I can like you can tell if you're if you're sitting here if you're listening, it, it, you can tell. It's just I I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> haven't caught the you know bug I yet. haven't caught it yet. Yeah, when you when it. you get up there and you see a giant. Doesn't have to be giant. Just a mature muley. Doesn't have to be giant. Just what comes back to my mind, he was a giant in this case. And I saw him be so patient. He let all of his other bachelor bucks bed down. And he gave him one of these, look at everything, and go, man, you just worked like for the last 20 minutes on digging out that bed. And it looked real nice. And I saw this big old buck come up and smack him right in the face with his hoof. I mean, just dead on as hard as he could whack right in the face and that buck jumped out of the way and this big old buck is like oh thanks for the bed and that little buck had to get up and go dig another bed and it was just like what an asshole i mean it was just <laughs> but it's just they have a lot of character to them and they're just the big mature bucks are just something else they're just so much fun to to witness out out in the pub i mean they're just so cool out chasing them around out in public land it's just so it's just so cool to watch those things yeah and just like you found like that you know, how fun is antelope pre-rut? How fun is antelope rut? It's something that you'd never miss after you experience it. How fun is the elk rut? Or even elk late season with a rifle is a totally different experience that, that has helped shape me in my hunting career, you know, over the years, hunting them in the, in the early days. It's just like, uh, it, it's like hunting mule deer early season. It's just something you got to experience once in your life. And hunting them during the rut and, and witnessing the, the posturing and the chasing does and the, um, it, just the whole experience is, uh, is really neat that I, I know you'd get hooked on it. You just got to get into it and try it. They, you know, go for a weekend with us and go out and go get some stalks and you'd be hooked to be all you'd talk about is mule deer I'm during sure, the rut. I'm sure it happened. That's the last thing I need is another, is another thing to chase. Oh, around. That's exactly <laughs> what you need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll be on your mind all season long. Yeah. Well, that's what's so fun is being able to hunt different species at different times and different habitat, being able to challenge your skills, skills in all the different places that, that the United States or, you know, that any place has to offer and to be able to, to to immerse yourself in the challenge and try to get it done with your bow and arrow it's pretty fun and when you accomplish it on a different species somewhere it's 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 pretty neat and it's a good memory to look back on you know it's pretty fun yeah i'm not i'm not opposed to trying it it's just it's the it's the last thing on the plate for me yeah 
Oh, you're so hooked so, on antelope and elk. I know. Those are two really good <laughs> hobbies to have. And they're delicious. <laughs> they are delicious, both of them. Yep, absolutely. Well, thanks a bunch, guys. Let's wrap this up. Okay, that well, sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks, appreciate Kyle. Appreciate Thank it. you very much. I appreciate, yeah, thanks, I appreciate it. Yep. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, really fun conversation uh, sitting down with uh, Dan Haverin and Kyle Richards, uh, just a couple of my buddies. Um, that's really fun, and thanks to those guys for sitting down. It's just nice to have friends like that that you can call on and record a podcast and then have it be so uh, free-flowing and loose and, and just fun, you know. So um, I sure appreciate it with those guys, and, and they're just killers in the mountains and, and uh, fun to talk over different ways to be successful. Uh, you may have heard we did stop for dinner in the middle of the podcast, so sorry to break up the conversation. I had recorded two podcasts that night, so we had just got done recording one with Dan. We recorded that Arizona hunt, and it's a really fun podcast I'll be releasing here shortly, but um, I wanted to get the conversation started, and then in the middle, dinner was done, and so we took a short break. Hopefully, we picked up right where we left off, um, but I, you know, I'm starving to death. I had to eat. So, uh, but yeah, fun conversation with those guys. I want to thank the sponsor for today's show, Zeiss Optics. Again, just the finest optics I've ever looked through, guys. Um, I know if you compare them to other brands out there that you'll end up bringing home the Zeiss. Their their colors are just so sharp and and, uh, their, their images are so clear and crisp. Um, I just I really enjoy looking through their glass and make sure to check out their new products, um, the new rangefinding binos and then the handheld rangefinder. Um, I know I'll have one of those things on my hip come this next season. On my hip, do you carry your binos on your hip? <laughs> That's a little strange, isn't it? Um, I was thinking my rangefinder, but I guess one of them will be attached to my chest harness or or attached to my hip, or one way or the other, I'll have some some Zeiss rangefinding, some new Zeiss rangefinding in in uh, on person here in this next hunting season. Um, so thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Make sure to check them out if you're in the market for new optics or a new rifle scope. Uh, they're just building great products. Um, over there at Eastman's going to sit down and record that podcast with uh, Brandon Mason here coming up this Friday. Excited for that one. And uh, I know that all the guys are just hitting the show, the uh, shows for show season. Uh, they've been at ATA and shot and kind of missed the shows here. Been um, steelheading and hunting, which is which is fun. <laughs> I enjoy it. But I would like to make some of the shows, uh, maybe the Sportsman's Expo. Um, I don't have anything uh, concrete yet on, on that show, but I would like to go to it. Uh, but if you see one of those guys at the show, uh, make sure to stop and, and tell them how much you enjoy the podcast. Uh, it goes a long ways for me and and uh, for Eastman's Elevated. So other than that, man, um, let's see, just getting back from a steelhead trip, um, just having so much fun. Uh, just been training, uh, been shooting my bow, um, been getting my runs in, just really looking forward to this next season, this next year, and kind of trying to think about these hunts and how I'm going to fit them in and where I'm going to apply for and um, starting on the research end of that as, as deadlines are already coming due. I know uh, Wyoming elk here is in the next couple days and uh, Arizona is not too far after that uh, for elk and antelope anyways. So deadlines are starting to come due, time to, to put in and and uh, try to get drawn on, on one of these dream tags. Um or just good tags, just uh, tags in general, actually, just to be in the woods and have these adventures. So, um, yeah, getting ready to apply for those. It's uh, exciting time of the year and kind of get to 
get to look over your your hunting and and where you can improve and where you can get better and so it's just a a fun time of the year for me i really enjoy it uh, really enjoying this podcast and the guests we have on and we've got great things coming up in the future and um gosh i'm doing a really fun one tomorrow i don't i'm not sure if i should share the guests not yet or not but um gonna have um ben o'brien from yeti on so i guess i shared the guests already so if i get in trouble i get in trouble but uh he he's gonna be a great guest he's just uh he goes on so many great adventure hunts and he's got such a great job there for yeti so i'm really looking forward to that podcast we're gonna record that one tomorrow and uh so we'll be releasing all these to you uh including the one with dan on arizona and then um Brandon Mason, that'll be a fun one, and then this Ben O'Brien. So they'll all be coming up in the future, but I just love where this podcast is going, and uh, I, I love the support and positivity, uh, and I love supporting you guys and, and uh, everything that you guys are doing out there. Is there's, there's so many neat things in the hunting world right now, but um, yeah, can't thank you guys enough. Um, gosh, stay sharp, keep working hard towards your goals, and I'll check in with you guys next week.